Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into my history with film in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? This episode will be, as you might have imagined already, probably very lacking in terms of structure. Uh, I'll try to kind of ground things in a general timeline as best I can, but I can't really make any promises that that sort of follows through the whole the whole episode. And I think, actually, what would make the most sense, because I'm not really sure how long it's going to take for me to talk about my history with film, uh, as it's quite a long one, and I also intend to kind of go into the future my, my, the future of my life with film as well. Uh, I'm going to do the Fantasy Movie League update in the beginning of this episode as, you know, I, I normally try to make Wednesday's episodes uh, be shorter in the, in the actual bulk of what their main topic is, you know, whether it's, a statistic, whether it's a statistics episode or a review episode or something like that. And I have definitely seen plenty of movies that I could totally do statistics episodes for, uh, however, most of them are very old movies, which isn't a problem. I, I don't mind that whatsoever. But uh, being that they are old movies, the majority of the names that they are influencing and the majority of the names that they are affecting on my spreadsheet, uh, I feel, are very unknown to to most people, even myself. You know, like, they're people who are in the movie, but, like, I can't, couldn't have even picked them out while I was watching it. They're that, they're that obscure, so for that reason, I've, I've tried to shy away from movies if the majority of the people are just, like, all extra names that just happen to be in everything. You know, like a Best Flowers, but, like, more obscure than that. So, while there were ter- definitely plenty of candidates to, to do an episode like that about, I don't feel like that would have been super productive or or beneficial to anybody so I decided to go with this episode and because it's probably going to be fairly long uh, I I generally like to keep the FML update at the end of a shorter episode and so today I'm going to put it at the front so let's do that shall we we sink into our seats right as they dimmed out all the lights a technicolor We are now one week into the Awards 2018 Fantasy Movie League season, and we've already seen a lot of interesting things, in my opinion, in the uh, Cinerealist Fantasy Movie League. For starters, uh, we have a person at the top who has never been at the top before, overall, in the Flex, whose uh, Cineplex of two screenings of Coco and six screenings of The Disaster Artist uh, led the way this week. No one had a perfect Cineplex. Uh, the perfect Cineplex was one screen of Coco, four screens of Thor, and three screens of 
the disaster artist. And as it turns out, the majority of our league completely missed the uh, disaster bonus, uh, disaster artist bonus. Um, only the flex, Derek, uh, who plays second, and uh, the Iron Drew managed to latch onto that. Unfortunately, in the Iron Drew's case, he paired it with uh, a bad mishmash of films around his three screens of the uh, the da Disaster Artist, which resulted in a 22nd placed uh, finish for the week. But he was on the right track. He did have that, and, and most of us did not. Uh, all of the names that were at the top of the list last season uh, went with a Cineplex of one Coco, one Thor, and six screens of three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, Ebbing, Missouri <laughs> failed to perform as we thought it was going to perform, given the expansion it received last weekend. And uh, that puts the people who played the most popular Cineplex uh, about $18 million behind the people who played the perfect Cineplex. However, in the Cinerealist League, uh, those people are only $11 million behind the leader. So, not quite as bad, but, you know, a little bit of work to do uh, in this first week here. Um, so, uh, that being said, uh, as I mentioned, this is the first time the Flex has been at the top of the leaderboard ever in the history of the league. It is not the first time they've won a week, however, this is the fourth week won by the Flex, uh, tying them with other members of the league, such as Xanadu and YoJRB, who both have won four weeks as well. Um, the Flex played six screens of the Disaster Artist, which puts them well ahead in the Best Performer race, as only the Iron Drew and D Derek have played more than one besides him. Uh, they're both at three. Flex also starts the season with a 90.97 percentage of the maximum possible point potential, which is a great start. And uh, if you can, they can keep that up, then they they'll be at the top for quite some time. As 90.97 would be, I think, the second best percentage we've ever seen. No, third best. It would be the third best percentage uh, we've ever seen in the league. Uh, four people besides the Flex are above 80 percent. Uh, so Derek, who's in second, is at 86%. Xanadu's in third with 83 Starship Nine, who is a brand new entrant into the fan uh, Cinerails Fantasy Movie League, and this is the first week they've actually set a lineup, is in fourth with 82%. And Sven Cinema is in fifth with 80.3%. So all five of them are at 80% or more. Everyone else is below. Uh, those of us that played the most popular Cineplex are at 78%. Uh, so not again, not not a super big deficit, and as we've seen in the past, just looking at last season, when both Raman and Director's Cut missed Week One, they were still unable to end up in the top ten. So far, you know, this is far from you know an impossible, an insurmountable mountain to overcome, but it is a deficit, and so as such, it ends Kiel Music streak at the top. Uh, who, after sp spending nine straight weeks in first place, he now finds himself working to get back into that position. It also ends Keel Music, Rybone, Plexi, and Director's Cut's streak of perfect cineplexes at two. Uh, so again, no one can tie 
the three in a row that has been achieved by Plexi and Keel Music in the past. And uh, we'll have to start afresh next time. And uh, now, you know, it's just the first week, so we're just now kind of looking forward to week two to see if it'll be any easier. It is award season. We are in the calm before the storm of The Last Jedi. And uh, this week we have The Shape of Water, Darkest Hour, and Just Getting Started entering the lineup potential here. Uh, seems to be a pretty low week. We'll see if anything can kind of break out in the dailies and uh, be a good value as opposed to the rest of the slate, but I, I don't know what that's going to be. It doesn't seem like there's going to be much, but, you know, it's only Tuesday as I'm recording this, so I really don't have any data at the moment. And that's kind of where we stand. So here's going forward to week two as... You know, we're all kind of, if, we're, if you're not the flex, we're all kind of scrounging to get back in, into the hunt. But no one is out of it, and that's the best part about week one. So, good luck, everybody. And now, back to the regularly scheduled programming. So, I guess the first question is, what started this relationship I have with film? How did I get into it? Why did I choose to devote so much time in my life to watching movies and short answer is it took a long time to get there uh you know when i was little i liked movies you know i frequently got them as gifts when i was a kid and i watched them a lot as a kid uh, but i i watched the same ones you know i watched a lot of them a lot of movies over and over and over again i kind of wore out the vhs tapes wore out later on dvds and things like that to the extent where, like, there are some movies that I just, I have in my head because they are so etched and ingrained in my mind, I can't not remember almost every little facet and detail about them. Uh, the best example of that would be uh, Lin the Lindsay Lohan version of The Parent Trap, which is the only movie I've seen more than a hundred times. And the reason for that was there was one Christmas... Uh, my grandparents got a brand new exercise bike, and for the longest time, it was set up uh, in in the living in the family room in front of the TV, and I used to just kind of sit on it and ride it, and I think for days and days and days, I would just watch The Parent Trap, and then I'd it'd finish, and I would um I would like rev up the exercise bike so that I'd have I'd have enough time to jump off, rewind the tape. Uh, and play it from the beginning, and then get back on the exercise bike, and the you know, pedals would still be turning, and I could keep going and keep up the same cycle that I was on. And I did that dozens and dozens of times. I, I was, you know, it, it had nothing to do with wanting to be uh, exercise conscious or health conscious at all. It was all about, I don't know, I, I don't even know what it was all about now that I think about it. It was mostly just about watching The Parent Trap, which is a movie I love. I think it's great. I like it more than the original. And, you know, I can, I know everything about it, you know. So, I, I didn't, I, I wasn't concerned with movies the way I am now for quite some time. And even to the point where, like, I didn't even go to the movies as often as I did back then. I didn't think about movies. I wasn't concerned with what was coming out. 
you know, most of the previews that I saw for movies were on the VHS or DVDs of other movies. Uh, so, you know, and I didn't like fully under, I didn't understand how movies worked at all. I remember when I was younger seeing a trailer on TV for Brother Bear. And at the end of the trailers back then, they used to say things like, um, only in theaters, whatever the date was that it came out in theaters. And at the time, I, I remember telling my grandma, I was like, we got to go see it in theaters or or, or, won't, or or I'll never be able to see it. Like, that's the only way I'll be seeing it. It's only going to be in theaters. That's how I kind of thought that they, what they meant. And obviously that was wrong. That was just, um, I mean, it was a marketing tool that worked on me <laughs> and my, I don't know how old I was. What I was probably, what, 10 when Brother Bear came out? It was, what, early 2000s? And I remember not going to see Brother Bear in theaters, which I was disappointed about, but then I realized it came out on, like, DVD, so it didn't matter. And so I was... I, I learned then that it didn't mean it wasn't going to be coming out on DVD and VHS because everything came out on DVD and VHS. And so I... You know, I didn't have, I, I would say the closest thing I had to to a particular, like, film interest back then was Adam Sandler. And I've, I've kind of mentioned this in the past, but Adam Sandler was the first and biggest movie love I had as a kid. Uh, you know, I remember watching an edited version of Happy Gilmore on TV, and I had taped it and recorded it on VHS, so I had a copy that was based on the edited TV version, so it had commercials in it, and I'd watch that over and over. And to the you know to the extent where now if I if I watch Happy Gilmore normally, I can still remember like oh there was a commercial here oh there was a commercial here oh there was a commercial here, which is <laughs> like a sort of like a ghost in my head like kind of like irritating thing, and. From that point on, you know, I remember convincing my cousin and pup-up and uncle to take us to see Eight Crazy Nights when it came out in theaters, and they did, because it was animated, <laughs> and uh, I remember going to see Mr. Deeds and, you know, renting Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison at the library, and, and I remember wanting to see Bulletproof for the longest time and not being able to find a copy of it until uh, I was in college. And, and so many, you know, so many other Adam Sandler movies, I was just kind of 51st Dates, I was just into him, I liked that humor back then, and it's still an, kind of a nostalgic thing, because I, I know those movies so well, and, you know, Adam Sandler's more recent films, while I think are definitely similar in comedy stylings, have definitely lost a lot of their punch that they had, like, 20 years ago, so while... I don't think that, you know, those movies from the 90s are as good as I thought they were then, Wedding Singer, etc. I do think that he's gotten worse at, at hitting the right note with them since then. So, I, I don't know, it, it's, it's frustrating in the sense that I wish I'd watched different things, but that's, that's what I did. I watched a lot of Adam Sandler. And I, I really latched onto it, and it was par partially the 
high level and high volume of profanity that existed in those movies. Um, and partly just thought they were funny. That's it. That's about it. And so the other thing, though, when I was younger is... Uh, so we had a, I lived in a three-story house, and the television only got reception on the main floor, the middle floor of our house. And I had my bedroom downstairs where I had a TV, but I couldn't get channels on my TV. Like, I couldn't watch ABC, NBC, PBS, Fox, WB. I couldn't watch any of those channels on, on my own TV, which was irritating and frustrating because there was only one TV in the house that we could watch things on and you know my grandparents had designated shows that they watched when they wanted to and uh, that meant that I kind of had to watch things else other ways and so that was kind of I guess kind of somewhere in high school I started to really use the internet to watch things Uh, I hadn't I hadn't really discovered torrenting yet. Uh, I was kind of in the process. I was still using like LimeWire and Kazaa for my music. Ugh, man. Uh, but there were like websites that I would find that could stream. And I don't remember what they are now, but I would find them and it would stream, you know, like How I Met Your Mother or The Big Bang Theory or Weeds uh, uh, and things like that. Shows that. I didn't really want to buy the DVDs of, but that I was interested in. And so when I was watching movies, you know, they would just, like, they would have to be movies I already had. I wasn't in the process and in the habit of downloading movies back then. And even further, uh, I would rig up my TV to play the audio of the movie, especially if it was a movie I'd seen before. So I would have the audio of Mr. Deeds running behind, like, myself playing uh, The Wind Waker on GameCube or Super Smash Brothers or, you know, whatever the game might be. And so I would, like, listen to Kangaroo Jack and, and uh, the Mission Impossible movies while I played the mo- played video games because I knew the movies so well I didn't need to see them to remember what was happening. I could just listen and that would be enough. And then to, so then to their credit, uh, my grandparents would sometimes drag me to movies I wasn't interested in seeing. Uh, I'm, and and the, the same thing would happen in the opposite direction. Like I remember I dragged them to see uh, Star Wars Episode Two, and they had not seen the first one. So they were, I mean, there's enough of a time gap between one and two where you don't really need to have seen the first one, I don't think. But... Still, they had not seen the first one. Uh, I remember dragging my grand- granddad to take me and my friend to see uh, Lord of the Rings uh, Return of the King. He had not seen the first two. And uh, it's such a long movie. He was not particularly pleased. I think he like left it with like half an hour left in the movie to go wait out in the lobby or something. But on the other hand, like they, my grandparents would take me to see things like The Triplets of Belleville which I now think is a great movie, but at the time I was like, why am I seeing this? There's not dialogue. I can't... What is this happening? This isn't a Disney movie. Uh, they took me to see... Um, this. This is. They took me to see Batman Begins, and I was not 
like, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't realize, like, I'd only ever seen the older Batman movies, like Schumacher's and Burton's Batman movies. And I was like, I didn't even realize that Batman Begins was on, was coming out. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, the same thing for The Prestige, same thing for The Illusionist. You know, a lot of those mid-aught, early-aught movies, uh, they took me to see, and I was like, I, I don't know anything about them. I wasn't wasn't paying attention to those things. I didn't care, really. Uh, including, um, I remember they went and saw the Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, and didn't take me, because they thought I'd be too scared of it. <laughs> and then, I think a couple weeks later, I went with my cousins, and I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. I thought it was great. And so then, like, that Christmas, I got that for Christmas. I got Pirates of the Caribbean for Christmas, watched it that morning, and uh, we went and saw the sequels later. So, I, I, I was, I'm, in hindsight, I'm really glad my grandparents took me to these movies, these movies I wasn't interested in, that weren't on my radar, that I didn't have any idea about. On the other hand, I, I really just wish that I had used those particular outings, those particular movies, uh, those kind of divergences from my own personal tastes that I, I liked, you know? I, I, I wouldn't say that they were films that I, I really loved or films that I went nuts for at the time, but, you know, def I definitely enjoyed seeing them, you know, despite the fact that I was kind of unprepared for what I was going to see. And I just wish that the fallout from that had been my own personal inclinations toward more films, toward broader films, toward films of a very different cloth that I wasn't really interacting with and engaging with prior to that point. And unfortunately, that just didn't happen. Uh, what ultimately happened, you know, as I kind of got further into high school and... I became able to, you know, we, we would rent movies from the library um, every week, sometimes multiple times a week, and I would kind of just keep scouring the, the new release list that they had. They would post out a list of, like, these are the movies we're going to get, these are the movies that are coming out, and I would just kind of wait, and I would try to watch everything I could that was PG-13 or less, for the most part. And I, I didn't uh, exactly... I filtered myself a little bit, far more than I do now. Uh, you know, at the time I was probably, I don't remember it well enough, geez. I was probably avoiding, you know, like what I considered at the time chick flicks and uh, things that were a little maybe higher, upper crusty, um, pretentious types of films. I don't think I necessarily grasped, grasped all of those, but I was at least in high school, I kind of started to watch a little bit more of everything than I had been before. Uh, you know, it wasn't all comedies and action movies and, you know, fantasy movies. You know, I was actually starting to take on, you know, some some romances, some, some dramas, uh, and further things like that. And I was pleased. You know, that was good. That was really good. Um, I think at that point, I also started to kind of go back and revisit movies I'd seen as a child, uh, particularly Disney films uh, and, 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 and the like, uh, as Pixar as well, things like that. Um, I remember when I was 
what was man finding nemo came out in i think 2004 i want to say i th- and i was i my mom and pop up took me to see that on opening night and i was completely unprepared i had not heard anything about this movie somehow i was not in the mindset you know i had adored toy story when it came out it was one of my favorite movies Um, i loved monsters inc i think that came out before finding nemo and when i went and saw finding nemo it was absolutely breathtaking it looked so incredible it looked so real to me at that time at that age i was just knocked over by this wave of you know water puns and i i couldn't you know i watched that movie endlessly once we got it on dvd i just kept watching it i watched the short films i watched the makings of the documentary parts i watched every single facet of that movie i could get my hands on i was obsessed with that movie for such a long time and you know it's still now to this day one of my favorite movies one of my favorite pixar animated any genre you know add your criteria in there it's one of my favorite whatever and you know uh, i was like i think a lot of people a little let down with what we ended up getting at with finding dory but um i mean mean, pixar has such a high standard at this point it's it's tough for them to match their own skills uh so so it, it 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 you know even through the end of high school um you know, not just my movie, my film tastes, but like my taste in music, my taste in television, like all of these things that I, I was really into at that time. I was so contained. You know, my life existed behind a screen, behind a computer screen. Well, I mean, I guess much like it does now, but I had no worldly experience then. You know, my friends were this small group of people that I went to school with, and they spent their lives behind screens too you know they spent all their lives playing video games spent all their lives you know watching tv and movies and i just never had that moment where things just kind of slid into place for me uh, until college you know i all you know i graduated high school and i think probably at that time i had seen I don't know, maybe seven, eight hundred different movies, give or take. Maybe, maybe a little closer to a thousand. But, but def, you know, that's you know, I graduated high school when I was seventeen, and that's for someone who watched so many movies. You know, I was just watching the same things over and over and over again. And so then I came to college. I, I went. To, I graduated from the University of Pittsburgh, and. My freshman year was actually not as... My freshman year was far more expansive for music than it was for movies. Uh, I think my... Jeez, the the artists I listened to uh, prior to college and the artists I listened to after the first, like, three months being in college was like a hundred times larger like the I just it just grew so exponentially and so fast that like I could barely keep up you know I was just absorbing all of this music all the time and the biggest part of that was because um I was in a single dorm but my dorm my my room 
was directly across from the elevator on our floor. And so everyone had to walk past my room for the most part. We were on the fourth floor, so like some people would take the stairs. But for the most part, a lot of people would take the elevator and they would always go past my room and I would always be there. The old door would always be open. You know, people would stop in, say hi. And it got to this point where my room became the social hub of the floor, which was great. I, I think that was absolutely instrumental and pivotal in like my own personal development because prior to that I was not really a social person I wasn't that outgoing I didn't have good communication skills in my opinion and so at that time this was so good for me you know I'd have four or five different six different people in my room talking to me we'd be watching a tv show or a movie we'd be playing video games we'd be listening to music together we'd be having a conversation about this thing or that thing or the other thing and it was great and it was such an fantastic experience for me and that freshman year I ended up you know absorbing all these different musics uh, uh, you know I we played Super Smash Brothers non-stop freshman year uh, you know I skipped so many of my classes my first semester I was it was I you know I slept during the day I went to I was awake at night you know because as far as being like sociable, people were in class during the day, so I that's when like there was no one around and that's when I was asleep and then I'd wake up at like middle of the afternoon and people would be getting back from classes, people would want to go out to dinner, I'd go out with people, get food, we'd come back, play video games, watch a movie, watch some TV, listen to music, and, and we just kinda of start the cycle all over again. And now there there was some, you know, I, I did have you know, meeting that many new people you're going to have a lot of new influences on yourself, a lot, uh, on your tastes and your likes and dislikes. So it wasn't that I didn't go out and see new movies. You know, I went and I remember I saw Inglorious Bastards shortly after going to college. Uh, we all went down to uh, the big AMC at the waterfront. And I was, I liked it. I thought it was good, not great. I've since rewatched it and think it's fantastic. Uh,. I remember going to see Zombieland back then. I, I remember, um, you know, that was shortly after The Hangover had come out. Um, there were I don't know, there were a lot of movies that I remember seeing for the first time, but most of them were still kind of in that wheelhouse. Uh, you know, I definitely hit a couple movies in the outskirts that sort of just came out of nowhere, and I, I watched for the first time in that circumstance, um, like, I remember, you know, like, I remember we all, these aren't new movies, but, like, I remember we all watched, like, Mulan together, which was really fun, uh, The Lion King, which was great, um, what else we see, I'm trying to think, Fight Club, uh, I don't think I'd seen Fight Club before then, uh, but, but that was, that was big, that was a huge, you know, not that I, I didn't fully branch out with movies then, but it did open my mind enough that I think what would come later was so much, I was so much more receptive to what came next that it really changed, you know, it had to happen this way. So freshman year, a little bit of extra influence, but not a ton as far as movies are concerned. Sophomore year, stay, uh, we, we got a couple of, a handful of us got rooms in the same building. We all got, we all moved up to the floor number seven. Uh, I had the exact same room on floor seven, so like I was still right in front of the elevator, still the social hub of the floor. Uh, there were 
five or six people who I lived with the year before in my freshman year that were still there in my sophomore year. And then there were new people that we met, we became friends with, uh, the sophomores who were also, who joined the club, who were just as welcome and, and open to being part of the group. And partway into sophomore year, I started to, at the time I had a, like, my couple of friends and I shared a premium mega upload account. Um, we were part of a website that had uploaded and used to make upload to upload pretty much every possible thing you could think of music movies uh tv shows images i don't know any any media games whatever you want they had it and eventually i hit this point where i just started downloading every movie i would sit on the page that would show every new link added to be downloaded from and anytime there was a movie i downloaded it i did that for a long time and I just started watching them and I don't know why I can't I wish I could articulate why I could why I chose to do that it it wasn't anything to do with statistics at that point you know I still hadn't started working on the spreadsheet then I was just watching movies and I don't I really have no explanation why that happened and I think this kind of pushes us towards uh, Easter or or Christmas. I think it was Christmas because winter break when I, I I started just before winter break and this kind of followed through into winter break. but during over winter break, I really began working on the spreadsheet in earnest. So I found a website that just kind of listed popular movies every year. I don't know what that website was. It's not like one of the big ones like an IMDb or a Letterboxd or anything like that. I just found some website. It had lists of movies and posters and of them and all. And I just kind of scrolled through the pages. So I was like, all right, I've seen this. 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 I just started to make the list. You know, I when I got home, I went through all my DVD collection. I was like, all right, these I've all seen at least so many, so many number of times. My VHS movies. Uh, I, I just kept kind of... You know, I found old ticket stubs, and I was like, added those to the list. Those I could even add the date of when I saw them last. And I just kept compounding things and adding more data and finding more movies and finding more movies. And I finally reached a point where I'd hit about a thousand movies, which was not necessarily, you know, definitely not the number that of movies I'd seen at the time. Definitely smaller than what it actually would end up being, but it was a sizable representation. And so at that point. Uh, I started to add more details uh, to the spreadsheet. You know, I went and added um, how many times I'd seen the movie, how long the movie was, what year the movie came out, my rating for the movie out of 100. uh, And uh, that's about it, you know. I didn't know at the time just how big this spreadsheet would grow. I didn't know that I'd be tracking the director of every movie I'd seen, the writer on every movie I've seen, the actors in every movie I've seen, every movie's genres, the Academy Awards they'd won. Uh, you know, statistics by the year and 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 by series and all that kind of stuff. I had no idea just how expansive this would get. And, you know, at the time, you know, like, I would just, I, I would only care about a few directors and, like, those were the only ones that had names on the main page of the spreadsheet. There was only one page. There are currently three, six, nine, twelve, excuse me, twelve pages on my spreadsheet. And it, it was just, you know, I didn't even have Rotten Tomatoes scores on there at the time. You know, that didn't come until uh, 
you know, months later. And it, it was just, it was such a fledgling thing. It was so unique and new. And I had, I remember when I was much, much younger, for a brief moment, I had the idea to, tr- to keep a list of all the movies I'd seen. I was, I don't know, 11 or 12 at the time. And I had just started a Word document, not, in a, not a spreadsheet, a Word document. And I was just going to list all the movies I'd seen. I got about 30 or 40 into the list, and my granddad came downstairs just to, like, check up on me. And he came downstairs, I turned off my computer monitor. I was so secretive as a kid uh, for no reason. Like, who cares if I'm making a list of all the movies I'd done? I was just super secretive. I didn't want anybody to know anything I was ever doing at any time. And I... So, so you know, I turned off, turned off the monitor, and then, like, I was just savvy enough uh, with a keyboard to be able to, like, alt-tab into another window, and, like, or, like, I was able, I think I could, I saved the document, and then, like, alt-tab forward the window, and, you know, my granddad was like, what were you doing? And I turned the monitor back on, and, like, nothing was there, obviously, because I closed out all the windows, so... Uh, I, you know, I don't, and then that, that kind of just like killed my momentum for it. I, I kind of looked at it and I was like, shit, I don't want to, if I'm just going to keep like hiding this from every other person, like, I don't want to spend the time to do it if I'm not going to actually do it, you know, if I'm not going to let like display it, if it's not going to be something I'm, I'm happy with and I, I'm pleased with and proud of. So I think my just my my energy and momentum and, and desires just kind of died right there to do this, and so cut to, you know, sophomore year in college, and suddenly, all these movies I'm watching, all of them have an incredible amount of purpose, and as time passed, you know, I've remembered more and more movies that I know I've seen, but like haven't been on the spreadsheet. I've come across lists where like, oh, I know, I've seen that uh, a lot. You know, some like holiday specials and like ki- kids movies and things like that uh, are the big ones nowadays. I think the most recent movie I added that I know I've seen, but that I had seen from before making the list, but wasn't on it was one of those. Um, oh, shoot. I forget what they're called. Uh, I think it's on, what do they call them? What do they call them? I have it here somewhere. Uh, a rank, one of those Rankin and Bass holiday TV specials. It, I forget which one it was. It was a couple of them actually that I added. And I, Cause like, I know I've seen them when I was a kid or, or other holiday specials like all of the other reindeer or, you know, Charlie Brown Christmas Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, those kind of things, you know, you don't think of them as movies, but they are, you know, when you expand your definition of film to, like, any sort of, you know, any piece of cinematic quality, you know, when you add short films to that list, uh, those movies count, and, you know, so, like, even as recently as, like, two weeks ago, I added movies to my spreadsheet that I'd seen from a decade before this, so, you know, I'm far from the spreadsheet is far from perfect at the moment. And so I, I, the, my, my own naivety, I have probably proclaimed that the spreadsheet is complete a dozen times since I started doing it. And then 
each time I'm content for like a couple of days and then I'm like, well, what if I also tracked this statistic? And so then I started off on a whole nother avenue of, of information. So specifically to like the actors page, at the first, I only counted movies that were rated 80 or above. So if an actor was in a movie ranked 80 or above, rated 80 or more, then I put them on the list and I put that movie on them on the list with them. And I don't know what made me pick such an arbitrary number. I think at the time I was just like, oh, only good movies count, which is also silly. And then I think and then at some point I was like, well, let's just add it down to 70 and then let's just add down to 60. Let's just add. And then once I got that far, I was like, well, fuck, I'm just going to add everything. And then I was like, well, now I can kind of rank these guys based on these movies. And so, you know, then I developed the values, then I developed, um, you know, average film ratings. Ultimately, I came up with adding in Oscar nominations. And then later on, I determined I was going to add, differentiate male and female by the colors of their names. Then eventually I added date of birth. And then I was like, well, I should also just uh, determine whether or not someone's dead or not. Uh, and, And then lastly, what I've added to the actor spreadsheet is place of origin uh, be that their country of origin or if they're in the United States their state that they were born in so like, uh, there's so many so many just you know things that you don't initially think of things that you know a lot of elements that I'm like man if I had only kept track of this from the beginning I wouldn't be scrambling to fill in all the details now but uh, you know in hindsight you know at this point I'm like really happy that I've gotten to this point and I still have a lot of ways to go um, at the moment I'm looking at this and 748 of the films on my spreadsheet I haven't taken in their director data yet and uh, the same goes for 1,291 of these films with regards to writers um, I want to get to a point where all of the director and writer data is on their own pages but until then you know I'm cutting getting into it as fast as often as I can but it's not it's not an enjoyable process, and it's very time-consuming, so it's not easy, and it's taking me some time to get there. So, uh, kind of backing off of the spreadsheet then, how I felt about movies as a sophomore, and you know, now that I had this spreadsheet to work on, was now that they, now they all had some relevance. Now they were all important in one way or another. All these movies that I was watching um, that... You know, I, I had no reason to find, I had no reason to see other than I just decided to download them one day. I was starting to th- compile them into this list and I was comparing them against all these other movies I'd seen. And I just, you know, I was just picking and plucking movies at random. And at the time, I would say I mostly considered myself to be, I don't know, I guess... I think at the time I would consider this more of a passing fancy. I don't, I definitely didn't intend to want to spend my entire life working in movies and working with movies and working with my spreadsheet and talking about movies and reviewing them and rating them and all that kind of stuff. I I totally did not think that was going to be the case. It was more just like, this is fun for me. I'm just going to do this and see where it goes. I liked watching these movies. I remember watching... You know, I had a friend in college, Chris uh, CJ, who um, 
when he was around, when he was available, he and I would watch a movie every once in a while. I remember we watched uh, Croupier, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right, with uh, Clive Owen, which I think is pretty good. Uh, we both enjoyed that. Um, I don't remember what else. I think there were a couple others that he he had recommended that we watch that we did. But I remember we also ended up watching, um, I think it's called Full Moon. Let me see if I can find it on here. No. New Moon? Not the Twilight movie. Uh, Half Moon? Shit, it's something about Moon. From like... Nah, it's from more recent than that. Moonlight, Molly Moon, Moonwalkers, Honeymoon, Magic in the Moonlight, Nine Full Moons, Moonrise Kingdom, Dark of the Moon, Half Moon. Didn't I search for ah, Whatever. So Half Moon is a movie we watched together. This was April 8th, 2011. Uh, so, you know, a long time ago for me. Six and a half years ago and then some. Uh, my synopsis is a prostitute runs into a werewolf. Uh, said prostitute is played by uh, adult film star actress Tori Black. And I ended up giving the movie a 17 out of 100. So, you know terrible uh cj and i watched this whole movie it's 95 minutes long so you know it's a relatively short movie it feels like it's four hours because i believe all of the movie takes place in like a hotel room and it's this prostitute who answers a call to this guy and over the course of the night they just talk about stuff and then at one point he transforms into a werewolf and I don't remember what happens after that, but, like, that's the last five minutes of the movie. He, like, transforms into a werewolf and, like, goes crazy. Uh, the whole movie, I remember CJ and I just looking at each other and being flabbergasted that something this bad, like, this, like, dialogue this awful and acting this poor could have been turned into a film. And going, like, even further than that... The, the scene, oh man, the scene where the wolf, where the guy transforms into the wolf is one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. It's, look, up until this point, we weren't really laughing at this movie. It wasn't so bad it was funny. It was, like, so bad it's bleakly depressing. And then this scene hits us, and I think the guy's sitting in a chair. The camera changes angles, and you're staring straight on at him. He's got a backdrop of a wall, blank wall, nothing on it. It's literally just him. You might be able to see the chair around his sides uh, and then the wall behind him. And then the the filter goes green and grainy and the guy's head slowly morphs into a wolf's head uh, with some of the worst like CGI effects you've ever seen. Uh if they're even, they might even be fucking makeup effects. I'm not sure. I don't remember to this point. But I just know that that transition itself was absolutely painful. But that moment paid off for us, at least, this experience of watching this 90-minute movie that nothing had happened. It hadn't gone anywhere. We had no plot, no stakes, no characters, no development, no nothing. And this guy turns into a werewolf. And the scene that it took place in, this this transformation scene, was just so richly awful that 
we could not stop laughing. We, uh, you know, it was hilarious. I had to pause it. We rewound it. We went back. We watched it again. It was, it, it was such great payoff. And, you know, I remember another guy on the floor passed by. We like we drew him in. We showed him this scene, and he thought it was kind of funny. And, and, you know, obviously bad, but, like, he just couldn't appreciate it the way we had because we had sit, we had, we sat through, like, over an hour of this movie prior to this thing, agonizing, painstakingly waiting for anything to happen, and finally something does happen, and it's this fucking shitty that you, you can't help but just, just die laughing. It was so horrid. I don't... Y- y- I can't explain it. Um, You know, you can watch the movie if you want. I don't know where you would find it. I don't know how you would see it. I don't recommend that you do. Um, You know, knowing that this scene is coming kind of ruins that payoff, I think. Uh, Not that, like, but there's no way I was going to convince you to see it otherwise, so maybe it is still worth it. There's, like, a million things you should watch before you watch Half Moon easily. So I'm not recommending you see it. I'm just saying, like, this is a big moment. This is a movie, like, this is a movie moment that I look back at, and like, this is vividly in my mind, as vividly as I have described it, at least. Obviously, I'm fuzzy on a couple of details, but, ha- but like, part of what makes this movie so important in my formative cinephile years is, for the first time, I really lent credit to what a movie's merits could be that wasn't a good movie. So I would admit that prior to that movie, for the most part, I looked at movies that I didn't like, movies that I thought were bad, as useless and unnecessary. And while I wasn't quite at that point where I was watching only good movies, I was definitely, you know, bored and and uninterested in the movies that weren't good. And... This movie, you know, because somebody else was in the room with me, because we were watching this movie together, you know, we were both paying attention to it. You know, I wasn't busy on my phone. I wasn't on my computer, as I frequently am now when I'm watching movies at home. And we watched this thing. We paid attention to it. And it rewarded us by making us laugh in a way that maybe we hadn't in quite some time, which is... Even if the movie's bad, and obviously I still gave it a 17, like I'm not going to give it a high score, but I'd probably plan on giving it a much lower score than that before then, and that moment, you know, bumped up its rating for me, because while the movie itself is bad, the structure and the presentation of the movie is such that it lays out its own narrative, it sets up its own uh sort of sort of end game in being you know tedious and boring for 90 minutes with one big moment that is so atrociously shot and made you can't help but laugh because it's supposed to be like this big revealing thing and it's just disappointing and and depressing and depressing in a way that is like oh i can't believe people made that i can't believe some number of human beings actually spent time and this is what they came out with. And look, I get, like, this is probably a very poorly funded movie. This is probably, you know, very unprofessional, not unprofessional, but like rookie novice filmmakers working on this movie. 
presumably I don't I don't know anything about these people uh, but it's you know it's not good and it's just it's it's sad that like whoever they were whoever they are they put however some number of hours some 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 amount of time into this movie into that particular scene and it came out and it's somehow that scene is somehow worse than the 90 minutes before it and that's what makes it so beautiful as a, as a moment and i don't know that anyone else could ever have that same feeling with this movie uh, you know even if they'd never heard me talk about it even if they'd never known anything about it before you know i don't you know most people probably couldn't even get to the end of it after starting it for that matter but that moment really brought me into a new understanding of what a movie can bring to you and what a movie can provide you with when you just kind of give it the chance and open up to it and let it wash over you because it's not you know you, not every movie has to be you know there will be blood not every movie has to be mission impossible or or the avengers or the dark knight or frozen or inside out or toy story or the lion king not every movie has to be Annie Hall or Ben-Hur or Lawrence of Arabia. There's so many, so many, so many, so many bad movies out there, you know, objectively speaking. And the idea that any single movie has absolutely zero value to a person is ludicrous. You know, even the movies that I've rated zeros out of 100 don't have zero value like that's not how the rating works it's more of a, an assessment of you know did i like the movie no did i ever enjoy the movie no is the movie ever good no you know does the movie actively do bad things yes like it's it's just it this movie that checks off every single box that pushes it further and further into me hating and thinking it's terrible and a few movies get all that way down to zero and Despite that, like that, I you know it's just as difficult to make a movie that I give a zero as it is to make a movie I give a hundred. You know that's why so few movies have those ratings. It's because they're so exclusive. You know, six movies that I've ever seen at the moment have a rating of a hundred, and on the other side of the scale, fourteen movies have zeros. So a little more zeros than hundreds, but like still very small amount of movies have these ratings and it's not you know I, I think that it's just as important to look at these zeros and say like well what makes them so bad how can you know if if for, for instance if at some point I ever had the desire or ambition to be a filmmaker whatever capacity whatever position whatever job uh on a set or, or something to that effect you know as much as good as it would be to look at these movies that i think are 100s and to take from them information and learn from them i can learn just as much watching the movies rated zero because i can look at them and say okay don't do this don't do that these are the trappings to avoid these are the pitfalls i have to jump over these are the mistakes i need to uh, correct and you know you can see that on both sides of the scale so 
like I said, like there's merit to these movies from zero to 100. And thank, like I, you know, hats off to Half Moon for being the movie that truly showed me that, you know, despite the fact that, you know, I'd seen like a month before then, I'd seen a couple of movies uh, that were just, that were also just as bad. Um, but they didn't really affect me the way that Half Moon did. And so I will always remember this movie as being the movie that changed how I view watching movies. And it stuck with me six and a half years later. I'm still talking about it. And six and a half years from now, 30 years from now, I'll still remember that movie, Half Moon. So, okay, moving on from that. By the end of my sophomore year in college, I'd come up, I think I had, as best as I can remember, I think I was basically on what I would call like the alpha version of the spreadsheet. I'm pretty sure I had directors by then, I had actors by then, I was dealing with the genres um, and the Academy Awards. The the bare minimum, what I now consider to be the bare minimum and basis of this spreadsheet. It wouldn't be uh, for many years after this, that I, that I like went as deep into things as I ha- do now. But at the time, you know, I, I as I've I've mentioned this in the past, um, I believe on my episode where I deal with you know talk, watching as many movies as you can, uh, as far or watching the best movies you can, I believe, and in like 2012, 2013. I started to just watch good movies, the movies I'd missed, movies that everyone should have seen. You know, I've referenced the fact that, like, you can look at a year, I think 2013, like, that entire year, all I watched were, like, 90% or more on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, I had a, you know, my average movie film rating was, like, 80. It was obscene. It was so high. And... I look back on that period now, and I, I don't like that. I think that was a mistake. Uh, because by 20, you know, 2014, 2015, I really started to filter in those bad movies, and I kind of stopped watching good things because they were good things. I started watching movies uh, because people were in them, because people were directing them. Uh, I started to prioritize, like, newer movies, and so... I didn't go to the movie, I didn't go to the theater really then, but I would just kind of scour the Rotten Tomatoes, like, newly released on DVD page, and like, alright, this is on DVD, somebody's probably uploaded it onto the internet, and like, I'll search for it, find it, watch it that way. And so, that was how I started to watch movies then, so that was like, right after I'd finished, right after I'd graduated college, uh, I took a year off just to like, do things and and be myself and like I was writing and I was watching movies and TV shows and kind of just enjoying myself at that time. I don't regret it. I don't. I think it was good and uh, I certainly would have been far more depressed if I had jumped straight from college to work but I think having that year off really helped me a lot and so so taking that year off, I watched tons of movies. Uh, that was the point where I really discovered short films. I started to, I remember watching uh, Pixar shorts, and I did that, and all of a sudden, 
like a switch went off in my head and I was like, holy shit, a four minute film bears just as much weight on my spreadsheet as a three hour film. And there's like, you can go, you can look on, you can see this on Letterboxd. Uh, I just, I discovered Letterboxd not, not too long after that point. Uh, not that it would matter, I guess. I can always go back and look at my data to when I'm putting in Letterboxd logs. But you can look on Letterboxd if you go back to like February of 2014, I want to say. And it'll show you, you know, like there were days where I'd watch 15, 20 films, and it's like three feature length movies and then a dozen short films. And, you know, I was just bolstering my numbers to like out the fucking roof you know i was just so excited that i could watch this was 2014 because in 2012 um i'd seen a little more than 400 movies in 2013 i'd seen a little more than 400 movies and then in 2014 that number jumped up to like 900 so not not only was like i out of school out of work you know i was doing whatever i wanted but I was also watching a ton of short films. I was, um, and like I was tempering that all with like TV shows and things like that as well. You know, that year I was the first time I watched Breaking Bad, and it was the final season of the show. So I was watching all the episodes as fast as I could uh, in preparation for that. And uh, you know, just a lot of things were going on. You know, so I was pleased. And very happy to discover short films and let them in on the spreadsheet and incorporate them. And now, you know, if you, you know, now I currently have 5,351 films uh, on my spreadsheet, individual films, unique films. And if we use the Academy standards, which they don't always abide by, but if we say 40 minutes or less is a short film, I have currently, I currently have approximately 957 films on my spreadsheet that are technically short films. Uh, so, you know, 20%, like 18, 19% of the movies on here are short films, which is a lot. Uh, and, and kind of definitely inflates my number a lot, especially when you consider uh, at least 20 of these movies are less than a minute long, uh, which is absurd, and I'm sure there's more than just those, because for a while I didn't, if it was under a minute, I just rounded up to a minute, but at some point I decided, no, that makes no sense, if it's under half a minute, I'll round it down, or I'll just use decimals. So, like, you've got movies, for example... Traffic Crossing Leeds Bridge, which is a movie, a very, very short, like six-second six film from 1888. Buffalo Running, which is a short film from 1883. And Passage of Venus, which is the earliest film I've ever seen from 1874. They're all like three to six seconds long, uh, but they're all films and some of the earliest examples of films. And so they're here, and they're just as important as anything else. But that does kind of skew things a little bit. So I think before I really got into short films, the average length of a movie I'd seen was about 100 minutes. And currently, the average length of a movie I've seen is 88 minutes. So pretty substantial difference. 
Um, let's see. So, uh, that kind of, I mean, that kind of gets us to now. Like, I've kind of talked about the inception of the spreadsheet. I've kind of talked my way through college. You know, after that point, I got my job at Target at the end of 2014. And I worked there for three years. Uh, I worked at the night shift. Um, and then in 2016, I got my movie pass. And I started to go to the movies more often, which was awesome. Uh, that would change things completely. And, you know, now I live in a place, in an, an apartment, where I can actually go to the movies as often as I'd care to, which is fantastic. I, I could not be more pleased with my movie pass subscription. Shameless plug. And then, also around the time I started, like, I think I got movie pass in August of 2016. And then in October of 2016, I started this podcast. And this was a big step for me. I was, you know, I've mentioned it before on the show, but like I started listening to the Cinderellists. Uh, I think in 2015, early in 2015, I really started to listen to podcasts and specifically Cinderellists. You know, I've also listened to Slash Film. Um, let me see. I listen to a lot of them. Uh, but but I'll just pull it up here because I still I listen like the science fiction film podcast is another big one I enjoy. Uh, I listen to the Next Best Picture podcast, Awards Daily, all this in the Oscars too. Um, I mentioned the Slash Film Cast. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, those are the big ones, I guess. Um, I've listened to other uh, movie podcasts off and on over a period of time, but, like, these are the ones that have really stuck with me, these are the ones that have stood the test of time, uh, and, you know, I, I, I ultimately decided, you know, I've had, at that point, you know, I'd ha been working on the spreadsheet for four years, five years, most of the people that learned about it, figured it out, saw that I'd done it, made it, uh, were kind of taken aback by just how expansive it was, how how large it is, how meticulous, uh, and you know were generally genuinely impressed by by what I was doing. And as as great as that feels, uh, I never really expected it to be more than this. I don't know. It was kind of just for me. And then the idea, you know, listening to this in a realist and you know, specifically in other podcasts, but them specifically, I determined, you know, I started to write into their show, you know, I, I started listening from episode one, I listened through every single episode of their show. And, you know, I was emailing them in every periodically, as I, you know, kept hitting different episodes and, and responding to them. And when I finally caught up, sometime in, you know, probably toward the end of 2015, maybe, I really firstly I was disappointed because like I was used to having just a steady stream of their show to listen to but also I kind of realized you know look like these guys they're not experts they I don't think they I mean no offense I don't think they would call themselves experts at movies uh, they're just kind of well versed they're very familiar with movies they spend a lot of time watching movies and they love movies, you know, they 
enjoy them. They're, as they say, obsessed. And, you know, I kind of reevaluate things. I'm like, those things all apply to me, you know, if not more so in some circumstances. Uh, so I was like, well, I could, I could do this too. And I think I probably had that thought early in 2016, uh, you know, well before I actually started the podcast proper. I wasn't sure what I, I my my biggest dilemma was what can I bring that no one else can bring? You know, the spreadsheet is nice, but it doesn't really translate to podcasting very well. Uh, I've tried as best I can to do so, you know, with my statistics episodes, uh, and I'm not sure how well those go over. You know, I don't know. You know, I, I know the St. Realists have, have talked about the difference in download numbers between their normal review and list episodes on Monday as opposed to their games episodes on Fridays and how more people care about their Monday episodes uh, which you know me personally like I like both episodes I probably actually like the games episodes more because it's really fun to play along with them but I think that the same thing is potentially true with my statistics episodes as opposed to my review episodes or or my you know, my, my best actors or, or scavenger hunt episodes, I think that my statistics episodes are the less interesting because, and I think the reason for that is that these statistics are completely and, you know, obviously inherent to me. You know, they have nothing to do with what anybody else thinks about these movies. And just because I can tell you that I've seen 48 films with Sherry Lynn in them and that they're rated X, Y, and Z, and she has a film value of whatever, and she's my number one actor on my spreadsheet, like, that means absolutely shit to any of you guys who, one, don't know who Sherry Lynn is, uh, two, haven't seen 48 movies that she's been in, although you've probably seen quite a few, you just don't realize it, uh, and three, like, you don't know who the other people are on this spreadsheet, you know, you you know, half of these names, you know, Best Flowers wasn't a name I was familiar with until very recently. Uh, but just, like, that kind of a thing, like, what does that mean to someone who isn't looking at the spreadsheet, hasn't seen the movies I've seen, and doesn't understand why this is what it is? And I think, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, I think not a lot of people are content to listen to my own thoughts and and statistics because they don't really change anything. You know, I can tell you that I think uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is the best actor in July, but all that really does is say, is for, for a listener, as far as I can tell, is kind of just like, hey, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman's a really good actor. He's got really good ratings from the, his average ratings that I, from the movies he's been in that I've seen is 70.17 and I've seen 36 movies he's been in and I think the average person hears that and is like well I definitely haven't seen 36 movies from Philip Seymour Hoffman but and this is like best case scenario but you know maybe I should check more of them out and that's great like if that's all it accomplishes I'd be content with that I think that's awesome but I think that more often than not it's like well why do I care about this you know, I haven't seen that many Philip Seymour Hoffman movies. I don't know who Philip Seymour Hoffman is, uh, which I hope isn't the case because I feel like my podcast tends to be geared more towards like 
you know, cinephiles who recognize these names, who will know these movies that, like, I, I don't have to explain everything I'm talking about. But, you know, the, there are going to be those people who don't recognize names, uh, who don't know who Andy Serkis is, who don't know who John Ratzenberger is, or Donald Gleason, or, or uh, I don't know, looking, Tatsuya Nakadai. Uh, you know, you, you can get as far as extreme as you want. You know, Gino Corrado, Arthur Tovey. Um, you know, these are people who are all in my top 50 right now. Ward Bond, Frank McClure, uh, Colin Kenny. You know, these are names that I didn't know 20 weeks ago, 20 months ago. I don't, I don't know what the time frame was. Uh, names that I, like, there are people on this list that, like, I watched their movies. I couldn't pick them out of the movie because they're bit characters. They're in one scene, in one frame. And while some people might not find that worth mentioning, it does matter to me. And the best I can do is try to convey how much it matters to me in the hopes that that makes it relevant to you as a listener. Uh, and I think the problem is what I, what I would like to change and what I think the solution would be is for this to not just be my own statistics don't get me wrong you know i mean i i i'm so far away from like realizing this i don't know if i'd call it a dream but like goal that uh, you know it's not even a blip on the radar but if i could some you know obviously i take it spend takes me so much time to put in all these all this data it takes me uh you know almost as much time to work on the spreadsheet as it does to watch the movies in some cases, particularly for short films. Like short films, I watch it in three minutes. It takes me six minutes to put in the data. Like I'm losing time this way. But that's because it's all on a spreadsheet. That's because I have to input all so much of this data by hand. I have to search it on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes and Letterboxd and find this data myself. My goal is for all of this to be automated. What I would love, what would make me happier beyond imagination, is if I could literally transpose all of this data into one database, one online location, one online website, where the only thing I have to do is find the movie, give it a number, and everything else is done for me. It goes through, it changes the ratings of directors and writers and actors. It affects the genres, it uses the genres, it checks off Academy Awards. You know, I can go in and it'll automatically tell me what my best movie from each year is. I don't have to go through on my own and like sort it out and and and, tra and move it over and things like that. I can, it'll tell me offhand, you know. Letterboxd does this to a small degree. You know, it is the best representation of statistics that I have found you know the year-end statistics from Letterboxd uh, are, are magical and wonderful and I want to like take that you know above and beyond to the next level and like I've even emailed Letterboxd in the past and like well look I, I I love all the things you guys have I love the service you provide I love the statistics you show me but there are so many things that I wish I could also do I wish I could you know, filter lists by actors or, uh, you know, just to name a few. I wish I could cross-reference movies that feature this actor, this actor, this actor. You know, you can show me all the movies that have Matt Damon. Show me also all the movies that have Matt Damon, Brad Pitt, 
George Clooney and are directed by Steven Soderbergh. You know, show me and like that yields the ocean movies. So I, I, you know, I, they've, re- they've responded like they don't have the capacity. They don't have the finance. They, they don't have a lot of the things they need to achieve such a, a task, such a task. And like, I totally get that. It seems like a huge undertaking. Um, particularly because you need to incorporate data from like IMDb, which as I've been told, costs a ton of money yearly. So I fully understand that it's not just like snap your fingers, throw together a website, this is possible. Um, Another similar site that I think is also pretty good is Critiker. I don't, I only learned about it fairly recently. I don't have all my data into it as, as of yet. It does an interesting thing that I like um, by breaking movies into tiers. So um, it allows you to rate movies out of 100, but you can choose to rate them out of 50, out of 10, out of 5, out of whatever, and then it'll break your movies down into 10 tiers, essentially representing each 10th percentile of movies that you've seen. So the bottom 10% of movies are in your tier 1, and so forth. Uh, which I think is really fascinating and interesting that it does that. And, you know, but, like, even that, like, it doesn't exactly come across the way I think I want a website to. And so when I'm, like, looking at statistics for, say, I don't know, pick a movie, it doesn't matter. Um, Like, let's say Toy Story. I'm going through the actors. I can say, okay, Sherry Lynn. And rather than say, I've seen 48 movies, I can say Sherry Lynn has been in 57 movies or whatever the number may be. And using this website, which presumably not just me will have input data into, but like I can say the average film rating of all of her movies is 61 point whatever. Um, And then like based on the average ratings of each movie and the values associated with that, it comes up through this algorithm and spits out a value. And all of a sudden I can say, On the website, she has a score of 91.3, which ranks her as 7th overall in the entire website. Except instead, and now it's not just my data. This is everyone's data. And all of a sudden it matters because, you know, if you don't agree with my opinions, if you don't have similar film taste to me, why would you care about what I like and don't like? because you probably don't think the same thing I do. But when you're dealing with something that's a collective, you know, a la an aggregate aggregate website like Rotten Tomatoes, like Metacritic, um, or like IMDb ratings or Letterboxd scores, then you kind of take things a little more seriously. Like, oh shit, it has a 97 on Rotten Tomatoes. That's a big deal. Or, oh my goodness, this actor is like top 10 on whatever this website is I'm like coming up with in my head and like that's now a big deal like this is someone you need to look out for you know whether it's their performances or just the fact that they're in really good movies you know you know you give and you take but that is the goal and I can't so like the biggest step I'm trying to take now that I'm hoping will kind of ease that gap a little is uh, the versus episodes 
and the versus spreadsheet that I'm working on, this new versus spreadsheet I'm working on. So when I, I forget when I came up with the idea to listen to, or just to watch all of the top movies on James and Zach's list from the Cinerealist, but at that point I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I made a new page on the spreadsheet, put down all the titles of their movies, filled in all their rankings from Letterboxd, all my rankings off my spreadsheet, made a list of all the ones I hadn't seen, and I watched them. I've now seen, if you've listened to Monday's episode, I've seen every single movie in their top 300 movies. What that has given me is a reference point with which to start from. Because I now have, I obviously have my own top 300. I have James, I have Zach's. I also have Moran's. So I have four top 300 lists. And if you listen to that episode, you know I've brought out four, eight movies in total that are on every single person's top 300 list so far. So even though I'm looking at these movies and I'm saying, okay, I like these movies, they're really good, I can also say, okay, James, Moran, and Zach corroborate with me Eternal Sunshine, Godfather, Memento, Almost Famous, Inside Out, Dogtooth, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and City of God are great movies. And not just great to each of us individually, but great to us as a collective. And that starts to bridge the gap between this is how I feel about said movies and connects it with this is how people feel about said movies, you know, which is why, you know, I've asked for more top 100, top 200, top 500, top 10 lists to add things to this because the bigger this gets, the smaller the number of movies is going to be that hits everybody's list but like you still have movies like if they hit four lists out of the seven people who are on here like that's still a pretty you know high accomplishment you know given looking at this list alone like these four people only share eight movies in common so if i have seven people with top 300 lists and like 20 movies hit at least four lists that's a pretty big like that's a pretty good indication like okay of these seven people, these are probably the 20 best movies in general. So, like, it gives us this new frame of reference. It gives me this new way to talk about things and talk about movies because as interesting as it is for me to, to like, watch a movie and be like, oh, shit, if this movie gets a rating of 89 or higher, I know that it's going to move so-and-so from third place to second place overall. That's a big deal for me. You know, I'm like, I can remember back to when I started this and Christian Bale was number one on my actors list. And I remember he fell off and Philip Seymour Hoffman took his place. And I remember when Tom Hanks was up there for a brief period of time, then it was Philip Seymour Hoffman again. And then Kate Blanchett took it um, right after she got her Oscar win uh, for Blue Valentine. And then I saw, figured out who Sherry Lynn was and like I added her to the list and she was instantly number one and she's been there ever since. Um... But then I changed the way the, the the values worked. And all of a sudden, she's not so out of reach anymore. Now she's actually come back to Earth. And, like, Best Flowers is very close to taking over that one spot for the first time in years. So, you know, that that's exciting to me. But, one, like, you guys aren't looking at the spreadsheet. I haven't... I don't really share it with a lot of people or people in general because... I don't know, it is really personal for me. And like I mentioned before, like I have created the blank slate spreadsheet 
that I'm happy to give out to other people, but like this one is personal, this one's mine, and it it matters a lot and means a lot to me. And it's tough for me to make other people feel that. And so that's kind of the biggest sort of hurdle I'm facing when I'm doing this podcast. And that was my biggest question mark. Like, how do I translate this spreadsheet audibly to make it worth listening to, you know? And, you know, I remember for a while I did like a Tumblr thing where I'm like, okay, every, you know, top 10 movies I saw this month, top 10 movies I saw this week, whatever. Um, You know, I used to do like weekly top 10 TV shows that were airing uh, and things like that on my Tumblr and such. Uh, Top 10 actors born in each month. I I had already done that back then. You know, that's not something I started with the podcast. And... That worked for a while. It was very time-consuming in a way that, I mean, I guess it's not as time-consuming as, as doing a podcast because, you know, it took me five five to ten minutes to create a post on Tumblr, uh, whereas it takes me hours to create a po- podcast episode. But on Tumblr, like, I was trying to put out a post, like, every four hours, you know, so I had to come up with that much more information, that much more data to display to everybody and here like I'm currently doing three episodes a week as much you know I would love to do four five six seven episodes a week um you know money permitting time permitting but I'm not at that point yet and I think that I I don't honestly I don't think I've succeeded in figuring out the best way to translate my statistics to uh the audio format. I don't think I've figured that out yet. Uh, I think the statistics episodes I do are fine. Uh, you know, it's if you're invested in me as a person, I think that makes them worth listening to. But I don't. If you're not invested in me, you don't probably care about the movies I'm watching and how many I've seen from each person and yada yada yada. Uh, so. It's tough for me in that respect. And I'm still trying to work through that and still trying to figure that out. You know, but some of the things that I think do work and do translate well are the Circle of Film Awards because there's only one category in that in my awards that's literally based on the numbers and that's best picture. Uh, or, you know, when I do my year-end statistics, I think that means something. Like that's a little bit more broader, that's a little broader, that's a little more significant. Uh, when I talk about my act, the top ten actors, while I think the nitty gritty of those things aren't exactly beneficial, uh, or or um, I, I don't think the I think most of that information kind of gets lost in translation. But just the idea of like these are names that most people recognize. I try to, if I think it's a name that people aren't going to recognize, I try to relate it to movies that I know people are familiar with. And I try to find a way to make these li- those lists as relatable as possible. But, I mean, that's not always the easiest thing, but it is when it, you know, like when I'm talking about someone like a Gary Oldman, when I'm talking about Ryan Gosling or John C. Riley, 
you can you latch onto that because like people have seen these guys in movies you know like oh man the guy from Lars and the Real Girl the guy from Catch Me If You Can or The Dark Knight or The Arrival or Grand Budapest Hotel like big movies movies everyone's seen movies that are in the zeitgeist movies that are bouncing around out there uh, you know and then I'm like also talking about other movies that they've been in and you know maybe the average person hasn't seen hasn't heard of and like hopefully that'll give them the the onus to kind of go out and search for these movies and try to find them and try to watch them because they should because uh you know and and that i think has been mildly successful as compared to the just normal statistics episodes and at first i had kind of thought like well i'll just do statistics episodes like that was the thing like the spreadsheet is my movie watching Ness. Like I, that's all it is. I never really considered myself much of a critic, but I guess I, I mean I kind of am. Like I rate every movie that I see, and I've always had a problem articulating what I mean when I rate a movie in '82 as opposed to an '83. Like what's the difference? And since doing this podcast, I've really, in my opinion, I think I've grown as a critic. I think I've if you look at the reviews I gave early on when I started the podcast as opposed to the ones I'm giving now, I think that they, I think I have a better understanding of movies and how to talk about them. I, I'm not perfect. I hear a lot of people who are better at reviewing movies movies than I am, uh, but I think I'm getting better at that. And I, you know, I realized early on, like, I can't just talk about statistics. I have to talk about movies in general also because the statistics don't they're not enough they're not good enough so you know I kind of had to talk about movies as a review as reviews and so forth you know I remember like going through the top 100 uh box office mojo movies like that was really fun like I wasn't that wasn't any statistics or anything I would you know I would tell you what I rated the movies but it was just kind of going through them and and listening listing them and talking about them and you know do I think it deserved to make that much money or, or this that and the other and then you know then you you add on top of that like fantasy movie league fantasy movie league was big man I, I love fantasy movie league I love talking about it uh you know I talk about it with my girlfriend all the time she doesn't play she doesn't really care the way I do but like I talk about it with her all the time and like I wanted to talk about it on the show for since I started really but I don't think I was good enough and understood the game well enough to articulate it and then finally I started doing the podcast or I'm sorry I started started this new spreadsheet specifically for fantasy movie league and specifically for the cine realist fantasy movie league and that really gave me like okay now I finally have a basis for which to break down what's happening in Fantasy Movie League, I can do weekly updates, I'll throw them on the end of my Wednesday episodes, bada bing, bada boom, done. Um, which was also another thing, like, finally making the podcast rigid, because at first I was like, I want to put out an episode every day, and I just didn't have the time, I was working then, and now, I mean, even though I, I started doing this before I I started keeping up with the schedule uh, before I left my job back in, I guess it was like June maybe, I started doing the episodes Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, maybe July. 
and I didn't leave my job until August. But that was a really big help for me because like I used to have periods where I'd go like a week without an episode and then I'd throw out like four in a row. And I know like as a podcast listener, as much as I appreciate all as much content as I possibly can, it is nice to be like, okay, it's Sunday. I know that this podcast and this podcast are both releasing new episodes. So like I, I can expect those. And so now with like a couple of minor missteps, I've been able to put out an episode every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. And I'm really proud of that. I'm really happy that I've been able to follow through on that and, and make good on that and hopefully, um, you know, make things a lot easier on you, the listener, because I, I want things to be as seamless and as as smooth as a transition as possible when you're listening to my show, because, you know, I'm here to service you, first and foremost. I'm here to give you guys what you want, and I think that keeping up this kind of a schedule is far more professional and, you know, respects your listenership more than just, like, new episode, 3.57 more in the morning, Tuesday morning, and then the next episode is... Friday, and the next episode after that is like two weeks from then, you know, like that's unprofessional, it's disrespectful, and I've ha- I'm happy I've moved away from that. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty happy with where the podcast is finally at now. I think we, there was definitely a dry spell, as I've, I've referenced in the past uh, at, at one point, but I think I finally, I've got a lot of good episodes on the docket to work on and an, at least enough that are going to get me to you know I'm going to have to talk about The Shape of Water and The Post and Itania and all these other movies that are coming out um, and I'm excited you know I haven't seen them I, I'm looking like the, the disaster artist you know, all these movies coming out that I haven't seen and you know those are going to fill in the gaps and it's going to keep me, keep things moving, keep things moving, keep things moving. So I think I'm very happy with where I've finally gotten myself to in, in this respect. Uh, I hope that for anyone who's listened from like the beginning or near the beginning, or at least before my schedule was more rigid, you've noticed and appreciated that like things have gotten better, maybe, uh, and can forgive like all the fuck-ups I had like starting out this show because it definitely went through some ups and downs for sure but we're kind of I I would say like kind of on track we're on track now so like moving forward with the show uh, I've already gone through some of the episodes I have on tap Um, I do one of the biggest things I want to do is try to put out as many circle of film awards episodes as possible but i don't want to do it so that it's like overwhelming i don't think i would let myself put out more than one a month as i think that would be just too much because you know they're supposed to be special and i know that i i really want to kind of work my way backward and reward these actors and actresses and and directors and movies that i think deserve to be rewarded but it's not easy 
I mean, it's, I mean, one, it is very difficult for me to like go through all these movies I've seen and think, one, I'm thinking about movies I haven't seen in a few years. And two, I'm like, man, was, you know, who was better? Was like Samuel Jackson in The Hateful Eight or was it Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant or uh, Jacob Tremblay in The Room? You know, um, you know who was the best actor that in, in 2015 and, and like all these questions rattling around my head. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of working on the 2015 episode, but even now, like, even recently, I've been, like, tinkering with some of the rankings and ratings of these movies and adjusting performances up and down and left and right, which is tough and difficult. And, you know, I've also kind of started working on uh, the, twenty. you know, I'm solidly into doing 2014 as well. And I've also taken the liberty of any movie after 2010 that I see where I'm like really appreciative and I I really think that a performance or technical effects or or score or song or something is notable, I'm like adding it to this list now so that I don't forget about it when it comes out. So, uh, like I said, I want, the biggest reason I want this is because if you go on the website, um, circleoffilm.com, and you go to the Circle of Film Awards tab, and rather than click on a year, you just click on the overall tab itself. You know, there's all these, that kind of harkens back to statistics, there's all these records that I'm keeping track of. And right now, that only includes 2016 and 2017. But, like, I want it to be so much more expansive than that. I want it to include, you know, the last 10 years, and then you really get, you know, some more patterns you get to see like okay well how many times have I had a film win best picture and that's it you know because that's what happened last year Uh, Handmaiden was my best picture but it didn't win any other awards and not to not any of its fault of its own you know I'm looking at the rest of its nominations it was number two in director it was number three in best in female lead it was number two in screenplay and number three in scene so it was very high at the top everywhere else but you had both 20th Century Women and 10 Cloverfield Lane, which won twice. Uh, And uh, that's, you know, that's, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen again this year or not. I can say with 100% certainty that the most awarded film in 2015 is my Best Picture winner. And so there's, you know, so that's not a trend that's going to continue. Now, when I look at 2014... I don't know. Like I'm still figuring that out. I'm I'm about 75% way through that year, so there's still some kind of coin flips up in the air, and I'm hoping to see if like maybe that is a trend that happens. Uh, you know. Meanwhile, I'm also trying to avoid, or, or rather, meanwhile, the simple fact that I'm also able to go backward. And I'm looking at movies from two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. I'm able to incorporate all the films from that year, not just like the Oscar films. You know, the Oscars, you know, notoriously miss out on hundreds of films every year that they don't count for one reason or another. Uh, They also tend to, you know, I go purely based off the year that they have on Letterboxd, so... For example, 
Ex Machina is a 2014 film for me. So my 2015 films or awards, no Ex Machina. It anything Ex Machina gets, it comes in 2014. Uh, you know, for better or worse, it's up against completely different films than it was at the Oscars, which you know changes the dynamic of things in that sense as well. So it's 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 fun for me. And because this isn't all purely statistics based, it's far more opinionated. I have to, you know, reason things out. And I think that's far more exciting to listen to than just saying, okay, well, best action movie goes to, uh, you know, um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes because it's the highest rated number of movie on my list. And that's rated, that's an action movie next category you know it's it's far more exciting than that like best animated film is the lego movie because it's the highest rated film that's also animated etc uh there's more to it than that and it it matters more and there's more going on so that i'm excited for so again i want to put out as many of those as i can to kind of grow the legacy the pattern the the scope but i'm not gonna i'm gonna make sure i don't kind of oversaturate the the podcast with those episodes so maximum once per month uh my initial thought was like i would do one additional one a year so like sometime in the middle of the year i would put out the next year going backward and then you know in february i would have the next year going forward as it happened so this year obviously pretty late i'm definitely going to have the 2015 episode in this month hopefully uh, I'm planning on doing it next week. We'll see if that pans out. But that was that's kind of where that I hope that goes. Uh, other news and other kind of things related to my own personal tastes and movies and how I, I'm viewing movies now. I am far more interested in like the awards race. Uh, you know, as you you know, as you listen to some of the podcasts I subscribe to, I've taken. A, much bigger interest in that uh, to the extent where I became a member of the Indie Spirit Awards or I think they call themselves something different than that it's actually uh, Film Independent you become a member of Film Independent they let you vote on the Independent Spirit Awards it's like a month it's a yearly fee Uh, it's relatively nominal Um, they also if you live in LA it's super beneficial I don't so it's not super beneficial, but they do provide you with screeners to the movies they nominate. Um, so, you know, I've seen a lot of the movies they've got on their nominations right now, but not all of them, and some of them I just can't find, so there's a good chance that that's the only way I'll get to see them, so that's kind of exciting, and I get to vote, and that means a lot to me, because for years and years and years, since I ever started to care about the Oscars, I sit through them, and I watch them every year, and I watch snub after snub after snub happen, and I go online, and I read about, like, why this thing won instead of that thing, and you get to see all these ballots that people cast, and they're like, well, I voted for Frozen because my daughter liked it, and I didn't see any of the nominees. And I'm like, what? Why? If you're a member of the Academy, they send you every fucking movie that's nominated, there's absolutely no reason for you not to watch it. But okay, I get it. You people are busy. It's mostly people in the industry. They're very busy all the times of the year. I understand that. Not everybody can just do nothing. So, 
if you're not going to watch all the movies, don't fucking vote. Like, it's that fucking simple to me. If I hadn't seen all the movies in a category, I would not vote for that category. But if I were part of a voting body, I would be respectful of the obligations I have inherently given to this voting body and watch all the things because, like, I'm responsible for it, you know? If they offered me a position to join a body to vote and I knew from going in, like, well, I'm probably not going to watch any of the animated movies, I'm not going to join because that, what's the point? I'm not being respectful. I'm not, you know, I'm not giving these artists and these industry members their due by ignoring their movies and just putting the most recognizable name down. That's not fair. That's unjust and it's it's a it's an awful practice that people are following through with and I, it just destroys me every year when I see that happen. And I just I don't understand. I don't get it. It's you know far more affecting and problematic than just like oh man, I really loved the handmaiden, why didn't it get nominated for anything? I mean, like, I get it. People have different tastes than me. I can understand that. But the simple fact, like, wait, Frozen won Best Animated Feature? Okay, I know it was really popular, but, like, really? And then you realize, like, oh, everyone just voted for it because every kid they knew was dressed as Anna or Elsa. Every kid they knew was singing Let It Go. Every time they turned on the radio, they heard Let It Go. You know, they went to the movies and, like, everyone was going to see Frozen because it made a million dollars every week and every day and and so they're surrounded by that movie and then they look at the rest of the list and they're like I don't know any of these other movies you know what there were is like um trying to looking at what other movies there were that came out that year that were nominated for animated feature you know The Wind Rises better movie uh Ernest and Celestine better movie um, Despicable Me 2, no, I, I agree with that missing, but, you know, Ernest and Celestine and The Wind Rises, both better movies than Frozen, in my opinion, just my opinion, and, like, even going further, like, Garden of Words, better movie, uh, it's kind of a feature, it's, like, 50 minutes or so, so it doesn't necessarily count, but, like, just saying, I don't know, it, it, that's ir irritating, so I, the only, you know, I would love to join any voting body, honestly, but the Indie Spear Awards are open. Um, it's the 6th of December as this episode comes out. I don't know if you, if you, the listener, are interested, but if you sign up by tomorrow, the 7th, then you're eligible to vote in their awards this year, um, or, you know, think about it and... I think it's cool, and, you know, that's kind of the point, you know, like, is to have a voice, to be heard, and that, that is exciting to me, I enjoy that, and, oh, man, the last thing I wanted to go into is the future, my future in movies, so what I hope to accomplish, what I hope to get out of all this stuff and I kind of glanced on that with the po in like future podcast episodes and stuff but 
in a much broader sense. Obviously, I would love to do this full time. I would love for my life work to be podcasting about movies or talking about movies, watching movies, uh, dealing with movies in whatever capacity I may be able to do them with. Uh, at the moment, doesn't seem like that's going to be possible. Uh, I don't make any money off of this podcast. I don't make any money off of the website. I don't make any money off of Letterboxd. I don't make any money off this, that, the other thing. And I don't really ask for it. You know, I'm not, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of people, you know, asking for money, begging for money. People run ads on their podcasts. I don't want to run ads. I'm not going to. I will never put an ad on my show for something that I didn't make or like, you know, it's not a paid ad at least, you know, I'll advocate for MoviePass to the end of the earth, and uh, for now at least, if if they're able to continue with their current rates, you know, I'll advertise, you know, I'll give free ads to like the other podcasts I listen to, to movies I enjoy, but I'm not, you know, you're not going to hear me talk about MeUndies or uh, Casper Mattresses, like I don't give a shit, and I would like to able to support myself but hey like very few podcasts are able to do that and I think my podcast is a little more niche than most so I think that makes it even more of a hurdle to get over uh so I don't know that this is necessarily going to be viable uh on my by itself in the long term but like that's the dream right so currently what I'm trying to you know, I, as I've mentioned, like, I don't work, but the time is soon arriving where I'm going to find, have to find an income somewhere, and my options are not completely limited, like, I'm exploring different things right now to see what I can kind of work on and figure out in that respect, but, you know, I, I, I wanted to give myself some time to see if this could be something that was worth putting more time and money and effort and, and blood, sweat, and tears into. Uh, not that I would ever, you know, I'm not going to give up on this show just because I don't make any money off of it. That's not the point. Um, the main, it's, I mean, it's kind of the point, but like, it's not the main point. The main point is I love movies and I just want to express that. And this is a really easy and for me, fun way to express that. And if it doesn't amount to financial success, I'm okay with that. And I'm just going to keep doing it anyway. Uh, the only thing that really affects is how much time I can devote to it. You know, if I, you know, dream scenario, if I was making enough money off of the show and, and other movie related things to live on, then if you look on, like, if you check out the Patreon and look at the goals, like, at that point, I'm probably going to be at the level where I'm putting out six or seven episodes a week. You know, there's infinitely more content. Well, in, whatever. Not infinitely. Okay. Calm down. Where there's substantially more com content. And, you know, I'm able to use the money I have to, like, work towards improving uh, equipment and my own situation to the extent where, you know, maybe I do get to go to like early screenings of movies and maybe I do get this thing, that thing, um, you know, where 
like maybe by now I had I would have seen Shape of Water, The Post, Itania, etc. And I could go to film festivals. I could actually interview uh, like people in the industry. Not that I don't like I don't I loved having James on the show. I loved having Declan on the show. I love talking to them and like that's so interesting and fascinating and cool for me. Uh, but like if you didn't listen to the Cinerals podcast, you don't know who James is. You know, if you don't listen to Declan's uh, radio show, you don't know who Declan is. If you didn't, you know, or if you didn't do like his scavenger hunt, you don't know who he is, uh, which is fine. And like, that's not to say that, you know, those people uh, totally have absolute value in, in talking to about movies and about aspects of movies. But I find it just as interesting and more so as a listener when the person they that a podcast host is interviewing or at least talking to has on their show is someone I recognize, you know? So like to use the Cinerealist as an example here, uh, they've had plenty of guests on their shows um, and the vast majority of them, if I can remember correctly, the vast majority of them are kind of just friends of theirs. Uh, to, or You know, friends of theirs, fans of the show, things like that. And I think that's great. I absolutely love that. But for me, I genu- generally feel like the first time that someone's guesting on their show, I'm like, well, who's this guy? Who's this Joker? What do they bring to the table? And it isn't until usually the second, maybe even the third time that they're on the show that I really am like, okay, I know who this person is. I know what I'm, go- I know what I'm getting myself into. I know what to expect. And I'm on board, you know? You know, some of their more prolific guests, um, Motion, uh, Luke the Flute, um, uh, Zach's brother Matt, I want to say. Like, they've been on the show so many times now that I'm like, okay, this is this is a known quantity uh, for whatever reason. You know, I know why they have brought this person back on the show time and time again. I get it. I like them for this XYZ reason. And that's great. And, like, I would love to do that on my own. Like, I would love to have more episodes on, of my own show where, like, I bring other people on. But I would also, you know, as a big fan of movies and the industry and, like, all the facets of it, it would also be interesting to talk to people who are, you know, solidly in the industry. People who work on movies. People who work in movies and, and around and, and through and under movies and over movies. That would be cool too, but that's kind of another tier above where I'm at right now. You know, it's it's a process, and it's one that, you know, regardless of how things turn out, you know, whether I find myself back working kind of like a, you know, a salary or an hourly wage in the near future, it's one I'm still going to be trying to devote a lot of time to. Because like I said, look, if I end up having to go back to work, I mean, I'm going to have to go back to work at something. I don't know what it's going to be. I'll figure that out in the new year. Uh, whatever it is, my current mindset, you know, what I'm currently working on is whatever job I'm getting will probably, at, the, at least at first, be part-time. Because, honestly, I'm so used to having all this free time now, I hate to give it all back. Uh, so I don't want to be working 40 hours a week if I can help it. 
and on a, like at Target, I probably average like 50 to 60 hours a week, and and more during some parts of the year. So, I would like to keep my hours lower if possible, and like I don't, like I live very meagerly. I don't need a lot of money. Movie Pass had ma- has made that possible for sure. Uh, so, hopefully, I can work that out as a thing. Like, hopefully I can make it so that I don't need, like, I don't need to make six figures. I'm perfectly fine making five figures, whatever those figures might be. And that's enough for me. For now, you know, and at that point, that's enough of a supplemental income that I can kind of be like, okay, I still have more than enough time to devote to my podcast. I still have more than enough time to devote to you guys, devote to my website, devote to the spreadsheet, devote to watching movies. And I'm also making enough money that like, you know, I don't, I'm not going hungry. I'm not like out on the street. And maybe as time passes, I can slowly see the income and, and, uh, supplement supplementary i don't i don't know another term for income i don't know why i was trying to find say it a different way two different ways maybe by that point i can figure out a way to like slowly increase the benefits of doing the show doing the website and all that kind of stuff and then ultimately phase out the job like that would be the goal and i don't know if this means like i have to get to a point where i'm like actually a critic for movies i don't know that i can do that uh you know as you can tell i don't like to write down in the episodes that i record like i like just talking off the side of my hip and and getting to points that way that's far easier for me but you know i don't know if that opportunity arose i might kind of have to take it uh or something else who knows what the future will hold but for now, this is where things are at, and I'm happy with where things are at. Uh, since leaving my job, I be I'm a far happier person just in general. Uh, it's it's been really great, and life has been much much better for me, and it's been really really good. So I guess I I guess I don't know. I'm kind of like coming to the end of this. Holy shit! It's been two hours. Oh my god. Um, yeah, so two hours. I think that's enough. I, I don't think I need to go into anything more than that. I'm if you've stuck with me through this whole thing, I applaud you. Thank you so much. I respect and and I'm so happy for to all have all of you listeners. And I've always said, you know, I don't you know, just the fact that you're listening is all that matters to me in the end of, at the end of the day. You know, I don't need people to pay me to do this because I, I gladly and happily do it on my own. It's it's a, it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's 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 good. It's good stuff. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you all from the bottom of my heart. Uh, if you for for some reason this is the first episode you're listening to, or like one of the first episodes you're listening to, I urge you to check out past episodes. They're all on the website circleoffilm.com. And they're all, you know, accessible through iTunes and, you know, most popular podcast avenues. If you want to get in contact with me, 
you can do so through circleoffilm at gmail.com. Send me an email. That's probably the best way to do so. Uh, however, you can now do contact me a second way, uh, and that is on Twitter. I have finally decided to try to be on Twitter. Uh, if you would like to do that, uh, you can find me at Circle of Film. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. I'm I'm right there, logo and everything. And and finally, if you'd like to support the show by doing more than just listening to it check out patreon.com slash circle of film. There's a lot of different levels that you can um, be a patron uh, at. Uh, There are different goals, rewards, all that kind of stuff. Check it out. It's all over there. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same good night. I know she'll never leave me Even as she fades from Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.